0: ongoing study of John, John's gospel, and so I'd ask you to uh, turn to chapter 3, John chapter 3, and let's, let's look this morning, uh, beginning at verse 12. Jesus says to Nicodemus, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. <clears throat> now last week we stopped at verse 13 with the saying that uh, saying that Jesus emphasized the new ver- new birth for, from above because it came from above in him he brought it with him he is the originator and deliverer of the new life that brings sinners into a right relationship with God now Jesus makes this statement to show the exclusivity Of salvation. It is found only in the one who came down from heaven. Therefore, he is the only one who can ascend back to heaven. Now, we know that there are some who um, ascended to heaven, at least one that I can think of that uh, we have to sort of. Conjecture that he ascended, and that would be Enoch. Enoch walked with God for 340 some years, and then he was not, for God took him. There's a difference between being taken and actually ascending. Ascension is one's, by one's own doing. That's why Jesus said, No one Ascends to heaven. Yes, Enoch went to heaven. Elijah went to heaven. uh, But and Paul himself found himself in heaven. John found himself in heaven. In the spirit. But no one has ascended to heaven. Except the one who came down from heaven. He means that no one ascends to heaven. By their own power. The one who came down from there. He's the one that ascended. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? He asked the question. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Yes, we do know. His name is Jesus. He is the only one. Who came down from heaven? He's the only one who ascends back to heaven. He has done all the things mentioned in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. This is similar to the statement that John makes in the prologue of his gospel and the other statements throughout. Chapter 1, verse 18 No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John 6, verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So Jesus makes these statements that only he can fulfill. This was the heavenly truth that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus and his fellow Pharisees did not believe it. The Son of Man, that the Son of Man came down from heaven to bring salvation for everyone. Who would believe? Its origin is heavenly. But its manifestations are earthly. It can be seen. It can be witnessed by others. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Turn with me to that passage if you will. Deuteronomy 30. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 11 if you will Notice what notice what he says For this is the commandment that I command you today This commandment is not too hard for you neither is it far off It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Verse 14, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. Now, does that sound familiar? It should sound very familiar because Paul quotes this passage in Romans chapter 10 Verses 5 to 10. Listen to what he says. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That a person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, th- that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses And is saved. Jesus told his disciples in the upper room. The night before his death. I came forth from the father. And have come into the world. I am leaving the world. And going to the father. Paul told the Corinthians. The first man was from the earth. A man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Now, Jesus gave this illustration after this that all the Jews would have been familiar with. Think of the illustrations that he's given to Nicodemus over and over and over again. He has explained the new birth. He has explained why he came. He has explained that this this life, this new life is in him alone. And now he gives an illustration that is so familiar that Nicodemus could not have missed it. It was the illustration of the bronze serpent. No doubt Nicodemus would have at some point in the past taught this passage. He was a teacher as the main teacher in Israel, teaching, teaching others, teaching the Jews. He would have taught this story, the story of Israel in the wilderness being bitten by poisonous Snakes because of their rebellion and their their disobedience to God and their speaking against God and against Moses, his servant. And so we find in Numbers chapter 21, I'd like for you to turn there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You're not far off from Deuteronomy there. Chapter 21. Beginning at verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This story took place during the wilderness wanderings of Israel. Before they entered into the promised land, the people were constantly complaining about their situation They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses, God's spokesman. And so finally, judgment fell upon them. God sent these poisonous snakes, uh, probably vipers or cobras, uh, sent them into the camp. And the people of Israel were... Bitten by these snakes and many people died and the ones that didn't die began to see that uh, the reason that they were being bitten by these snakes was because they were under the judgment of God. Now the people of Israel in some way were much more attuned to God's judgment than people today because they almost immediately began to recognize That they were under God's judgment and cried out for mercy. Just try that today. Just try telling people that the reason we're in the shape we're in. Is because of God's judgment. And let me tell you what will happen. You will be laughed at. You will be ridiculed. You will be scorned. Because they don't believe it. Oh, a politician tried it not long ago in Washington. He made the statement that we were under God's judgment. These were the reason these things were happening to us. And he was scorned and ridiculed and laughed at. People today, if you just simply mention this. (laughs) So what did Moses do? He prayed for the people. He prayed that God would relent in his judgment. And God gave Moses the instructions for deliverance. The type and the picture of this is so clear that it cannot be missed. The pole is a cross. And the snake on the pole is the Son of God being judged for man's sin. Now we know this is the... uh, the, the, we know this is the analogy because Jesus interprets that Old Testament passage for us when he said, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So this passage indicates the necessity for the cross and Jesus as the sin bearer, the one who receives the judgment for sin, he is. Is seen as the one who would heal the sin sick soul. And give life to the sinner. The word must in the verse. He says the son of man must be lifted up. Expresses the necessity of Christ dying on the cross. It states that there is no other option. But for him to die on the cross. This is, was a necessary part of God's plan. To lost sinners. Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples. That he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders. And the chief priests and scribes. And be killed. And on the third day be raised. He began to tell them. This was what was going to happen. In Luke 24 verse 7. He says the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. To be crucified and rise on the third day. So John uses this word to indicate the absolute binding inevitability of the cross. It had to come to pass. There was no other way for for sinners to be given life than for Jesus to go to the cross. Even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The term to be lifted up is John's in John's gospel always refers to the cross. We see that in chapter eight, chapter twelve. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. In John 12, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Speaking of the cross. So, the bronze serpent, <coughs> or brass serpent, is used in scripture. Brass is always a symbol of judgment. And that's why it speaks of the judgment of God upon the Son when He went to the cross. Anyone who looked at the serpent on the pole obviously believed what Moses had said and would be healed. They would be given life instead of death. And so anyone who looks to the crucified Christ receives life as well. They are saved from their sin. So on the cross then Jesus became the substitute for sinners whose wage for sin was death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Unbelieving people don't know what they're, what they're actually living for. They're actually living for a wage that is going to end up in eternal death. But there is life and abundant mercy and love and grace in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. 1 John chapter 4. In this is the love of God. In this the love of God was manifested among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Those words, so that we might live. Someone would say, Well, you see, it's not certain, is it? It says you might live. You might. No? In that text, it absolutely says, so that we will or would live. That's what it's that's what it actually says. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfying substitute for our sins. When a person is bitten with the deadly venom of sin and obeys God and looks in faith to Christ alone, For deliverance, Christ delivers them. It's absolute. It never fails. It's interesting. If you follow the if you follow the history of the bronze serpent, you find that it ended up as a shrine in Israel, and the people of Israel began to worship it. Isn't it amazing what people will worship? Hezekiah the king came along and he found it. And with all the other altars that he tore down, he found the bronze serpent and he and he broke it into pieces so that it couldn't be worshipped. What are people worshipping today? What are their idols? There are many. There are many. God will not allow anything or anyone... Hear me carefully. He will not allow anything or anyone to usurp the worship that belongs only to him. He will destroy all idols and he will destroy all idol worshipers with them. The day is coming. So who is this instruction in verse 15 meant for? And what is the actual deliverance that he's talking about? It is meant for anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. Everyone who believes is the recipient of the promise. But those who believe are an exclusive group. The whoever does not mean that anyone who decides on their own initiative can believe. For that would be an impossibility. Quickly turn with me to John chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages. I have three or four different favorites in John's gospel. This is one of them. In John chapter 6. Notice verse 37. So. Back up to 35 if you will. Jesus said to them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. Shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me. Shall never thirst. So you can equate believing and coming as the same thing but i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe so there were people who saw jesus who heard jesus and they didn't believe notice verse 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, so now we see that those who believe are given to the Son by the Father. So the Father is the one that brings people to the Son. Notice verse 39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none or nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now he's talking about the people. The people that the Father gave to the Son. Those are the ones that come. Those are the ones that believe. And those are the ones that the Son says he will keep and raise up on the last day. Look down at verse 44. Here's the impossibility of doing this on one's own. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Said twice now about being raised up. It is written in the prophets, they will be all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes from me. So the Father is the one that draws the individual to the Son... He's the one that draws them and gives them to the Son and the Son then gives them life. Why? Because they look to Him in faith, believing. Just like the people of Israel looked at the pole that was raised up, when they looked, they lived. Look down to verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Now he's talking very specific. For Jesus knew from the very beginning who those were that did not believe and, and who it was that would betray him. So amongst these disciples, these are not just the twelve. There are a number of disciples at this point following Jesus. And Jesus knows the ones that believe and he knows the ones that don't believe. And it's the same today. People come into churches every week who do not believe. And Jesus knows who they are. The disciples at one point said, let's weed them out. And Jesus said, no, leave them. Leave them. Because the day is coming when God will send His angels in to to pick up His own. And the others are tares. They'll be destroyed. Leave them. John chapter 14, he says this, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells in you and be with you. So there's these these passages say say several things and I'm not going to expound on all of it now because we'll get to John six and spend quite some time there. But what he's saying is, is that people can't just can't can't just decide on their own. Oh, I think I'll be a Christian. I have had people say to me, Oh yeah, I had the good sense to to do that. You did? No, you didn't. No one comes to the Father, unless to Christ, unless the Father draws them to Him. And if the Father does draw them to Him, then that means that that person was the Father's to start with, and now He's giving that person to the Son. And if the Son receives that person, which He says He will, and He'll never cast a single one away... then those people are His and they have the life that He has given them. And it's exclusive, hear me, exclusive to them alone. Faith is a gift from God, but He does not give it to everyone. Only those whom He has chosen from eternity past... Before the foundation of the world. And so John indicates to those, indicates that those whom God gives his sovereign grace will believe. God makes this come to pass, not man. We find that the truth of that in so many places. Ephesians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 18 speak of both the positive and the negative aspects of these things. Things. So, what is the gift? The gift is eternal life. Notice the text says "may have eternal life." That word "may" is not in the original text. Now, sometimes the word "may" indicates things that are not certain. Uh, here, it is. It it's absolutely means. To have or to own or to possess. You have it. Not may have it. You have it. So look back at the text again. He says in verse 15 that whoever believes in him has eternal life. To believe in Christ To follow Christ in faith is to have or possess eternal life. You have it now, folks. It's not something you're going to have in the, just in the future. You actually have eternal life right now, this very moment, because you are in Christ, believing in Him. That's good news. It's something that the world cannot take away from you it is something that is an actuality the word that in verse 15 solidifies the real certainty of it it says that the purpose the purpose and the result of believing is eternal life having eternal life so what is Jesus saying what Jesus is saying is that all who believe in him for salvation will actually receive the gift that God promises not just here in this life but in but eternally with Christ in glory and in his presence forever and ever now Nicodemus has no excuse of ignorance of what the truth is in scripture And no one one here this morning has that either. No excuses. This is the gospel that Jesus was giving to Nicodemus. He goes on now in verses 16 all the way through, 16 to 18. And he reiterates this over and over again, saying basically the same thing that he said in verse 15, but in different ways. And so next week, Lord willing, we will be in verses 16 to 18. I'm going to try to cover all those verses at once because I preached uh, preached those passages, I forget now, a couple of years ago. And I said that when I started in John, when we got to 16 to 18 of John 3, that I would move through that quicker. So I'm going to pack all those verses together into one message. We'll see what happens. Thank you for being here today. Such a blessing to come and and worship, as Pat said, without fear of retribution or persecution. And we we need to savor that because I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's going on in Canada. Um, Canada's gone absolutely crazy, and they're passing laws uh, that against preaching. Preaching against homosexuality and 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 counseling people about their homosexuality from a biblical standpoint, and now people can be persecuted for that and fined and imprisoned for up to ten years. And so, last week, many pastors across Canada, along with Dr. John MacArthur, preached on uh, human sexuality and and. Uh, in in defiance of that unbiblical law that has been passed in Canada. I'm just waiting for the time when it comes here. I mean, a few years back they tried to push it and it sort of fell off the rails. It's coming. Lots of things are coming, I think, for us in the next year's. And Jesus too, yes, and that's what we need to be looking for, isn't it? Yeah, amen. We talked about uh, the rapture this morning in fit and the imminence of it. <clears throat> so he could come at any moment. So let's be let's be watching and waiting for our redemption is drawing near. A couple of announcements before.